I'm glad we just made that claim. I'm glad we just made that claim. <clears throat> I want you to remember that claim as we get into God's Word this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Chapter 13, get your outlines out if you want to take notes today and follow along that way. Uh, I provide those outlines not as a mandatory thing for you to do, but I was taught early on uh, in my marriage that um, some people learn differently than others. And I could sit here, and I, I, I love it. Pastor Greg has given me freedom to do this when we go to conferences together. He's like, Pastor, are you going to take notes or are you going to just soak it up? He's asked me that question before. And I said, well, I didn't know I had a choice. Thank you for giving me the freedom to, to just soak it up sometimes. I, I learn by hearing, by reading. Um, but some people need to learn by seeing it and being able to put it down on paper and to go back to it. So I pray that that's a blessing to you. If it's not, that's okay. Just take your own notes. Write something down that God might lay on your heart, and that'll be, that'll be fine as well. But today we want to continue this Lenten journey as we go through uh, the Gospels as they lead us to the cross, and we follow Jesus through this time in his life as he is being the example, he is teaching, he is helping us to see what it means to really follow him in these, in these moments of, that could be valleys, that could be moments of questioning, wondering what's going on. And so today, I, I've got to just start by asking you a question today. Have you ever asked the question, why? Why? This question gets asked a lot in our home in recent days. We have some young children, and that uh, sometimes goes both ways, parents to children, children to parents. But we ask some of these types of why questions. Why did you do that to your sister? Why do you do that when you know it's wrong? I love this one. It's getting old, but I love it. Why are you sitting in timeout? Why won't you clean your rooms even though we've asked you 10 million times to clean your room? Usually the answer comes back to us in, in one of two forms. And this one, this one drives me nuts, and uh, I won't tell you who of my children do this, but uh, I'll say, why didn't you do what we asked you to do? Don't like that one. Don't like that one. I said, this doesn't give me anything. This doesn't give And they see my rage go through the roof. God's helped me with that, though. God's helped me with my temper. Amen. God's given me victory over that, and I'm thankful for that. So now this doesn't bother me as much. Um, the, other, the other response that just kind of aggravates me sometimes is they answered this way. Why did you do that to your sister? Because. Because. And my, always my immediate response to them is, because is not an answer. But it's taught me as a parent. See, I'm getting the teachable moment even though I'm trying to teach my children. It's taught me to ask the question a different way. And sometimes we have to ask the why questions in a different way. So in our home, the why question gets asked a lot. And we ask why when we're growing up, and even when we're older and we're still growing, we ask why, because we want to know the answer. We want to know what's going on. And sometimes I wonder if when we ask God the why question, 
He looks at us, I think this is just my, my sense of God's humor in, in my own life. He looks down at my life and I say, God, why are you doing this to me? And I can see him looking down at me and saying, because I'm God. And I can't get on to God for saying because. Because he sometimes gives us that answer. Because I'm trying to teach you something. Because I'm God and you're not. So let's just see where this goes. Why? Why does this happen? You see, there's tragedies that take place in the world. There's tragedies that come, and we're going to read in our text in just a minute about a couple of tragedies in, in biblical times that cause people to ask the question, why? But there's tragedies that we see happen in our world today, and it causes us to ask that question, why? Why would God allow such suffering to take place? Here's some recent examples that could be fresh on our mind in America um, one of those examples would be uh, Hurricane Katrina came through uh, a few years ago uh, to New Orleans, and, and Hurricane Katrina just devastated New Orleans. Now, I love New Orleans. New Orleans is one of those places that, that we have vacationed to uh, as we're getting on a boat to go somewhere else, but we love to spend time in New Orleans. And uh, we've even taken our kids there. We try to protect them because New Orleans does have some questionable things there. But people began to ask the question of God, would God allow Katrina to come to New Orleans because New Orleans is evil? And that question was asked a lot. Well, here's another example. Well, we saw just a few, probably I can't even think of the timing on it now, a couple of years ago now, in Las Vegas, there was the mass shooting in the concert and the shooting in Las Vegas. And people began to ask the question, did this shooting take place because Las Vegas is evil? Is God trying to cleanse Las Vegas from their evil things as a city? And we see these tragedies and we ask God, God, why are you allowing innocent people to die? Why are you allowing suffering to take place? And then it, it causes me to think, well, if we're going to put it in that extreme, well, then maybe we need to go to this other extreme. And, and some of you may not like this, this illustration of this same point, but we've got to talk about both sides to be true. Amen? Okay. What about the shooting in Sandy Hook? All those innocent children and teachers taken, was it because those children were evil? Did, Sandy, did God allow Sandy Hook to take place because those children were evil? Hmm. we got to think about both sides of the coin a little bit. And, and there's, there's one other example that, that I could think about that kind of lumps a lot of things into it, and it's been very recent in, in, our, in our country. But I think about us praying as a nation over the laws and the, the things that are being passed in our world. And we say, we, we're taking a stand and a voice against abortion and the abortion laws and in the different states that are going on. And it's not just the abortion laws. That's what I said last week. We get so riled up about certain sins, but are we getting riled up about every sin? And is, is, are these abortion laws taking place because Illinois is evil, and California is evil, and New York's evil. Well, I think God's Word gives us an answer to that. And I want us to explore that a little bit today as we look to, to God's Word to see what Jesus says about evil. Jesus takes us a step further when it comes to these questions of why. And Jesus turns the why question around to us. So I want us to take a look here. Luke chapter 13 I'm going to begin reading with verse number one. You'll see it on the screen. You can follow along with me as I read this to you. Luke, Luke 13, verse one. It says, 
About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. That's a church shooting there, if you will, okay? Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? And Jesus says, these are Jesus' words, not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, that unless you repent, you will perish too. Verse 6, then Jesus told a story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in my garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a story that Jesus flips the script on. He takes their questions of why. He says, no, that's not why. The evil is not why that they were punished or why suffering took place. But here's the thing. You're pointing your finger at that situation when in reality you need to look in the mirror. And Jesus tells this story. He flips the conversation to a story. And so today I want us to focus on the story for a moment. I want us to focus on the story that Jesus tells. Because when Jesus tells a story, it means we should probably pay attention to it. Jesus told parables all throughout his ministry. And parables are stories. They're stories that Jesus is trying to tell to help people understand what he's trying to teach them about the kingdom of God. So Jesus flips the script and he says, here's a story I want to tell you. So I want us to focus on the story that Jesus is telling today. There's a few things that we need to see. The first thing is this. We need to see some things about this story about when we plant. Now, I know this is going to resonate with us because we have a lot of people that plant every year. And so let's, let's see about this story and where Jesus is going. Think about the story and think about some things that happen when you plant. The first thing that we think about is when we plant, we have new expectations. We have new expectations. Verse 6 says, A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. You see, when we repeat the same action over and over, again and again, it usually means we have some expectations of what's going to happen. Amen? If we continually do the same thing over and over and over, we're expecting to see something different. We're expecting to see some change happen. We have new expectations. You see, this man planted a a tree, and he was expecting fruit from this tree. The expectation was fruit. Have you ever had expectations that weren't met, though? 
I've heard it said before, if you never want to be disappointed, then don't have any expectations. That's, that's a hard thing to, to follow and to live by. But I want you to think about this, this, think about it this way for a moment. How many of you have ever walked into a restaurant to eat, and before you even hit the door, you had expectations of what the service should be, how quickly you should be seated, the quality of the food, and how quickly you were going to get out of there before you even went in. So I want, to, I want to encourage you. Maybe the next time you go into a restaurant, I'm not going to name any here because they all do a fabulous job here in town, and so that's great. But when you go into a restaurant, I want you to go in, hit that door with no expectations. Hit that door thinking, you know what? It doesn't matter what kind of service we get today. I'm just thankful to be here. Guess what? You will never be disappointed in your service if you hit that door with no expectations. It's true. You can't be let down if you don't have an expectation that you were supposed to get something you deserved. Amen? But when we plant something, we expect something in return. We expect a result. We expect something, but sometimes we get disappointed. We have new expectations when we plant. When we plant, we also have a new hope for the future. We have a new hope for the future. This same phrase again and again, it gives us insight into a time span. Okay? It gives us insight into a time span. Let me explain that to you. He's planted this tree in his garden. He goes away. His gardener is tending to it. He comes back to it to check on it. Still the same thing. He goes away. Gardener's taking care of it. He comes back again to check on it. He goes away. You see what I'm getting at here? There's a time span that's taking place. It keeps happening. He's looking to the future. When he walks away, if he's like me, he puts it on his calendar to when he's going to go back. Hey, man, I'm a planner. I'm a doer. So I need to go back in two weeks. Why? Because in two weeks, I'm expecting the future to be different. Right? So when we plant, we're expecting hope for the future. He had hope that this tree was going to give him fruit. He had hope for a future that was different than his current situation. When we plant something in our lives, we know that there's a future that we're looking forward to. We have a hope for what's to come. We, we hope for the fruit of the tree. We hope for the new life that we're committed to living. We hope that one day evil will be defeated. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm hoping for the day when there's no more school shootings. I'm hoping for the day when all lives matter, born or unborn. Amen? I'm It doesn't matter what sin you're doing. If you're stealing, if you're lying, if you're committing adultery, if you've murdered, if you're, if you're marrying the same sex, it doesn't matter what sin it is. What matters is that we have hope that one day it's going to be defeated. That's good preaching, okay? Sin will be defeated. We have a new hope for a future that is better than what our present stance is. When we plant, we have a new hope for the future. But we also have new life that comes through a process. Did you realize that growth takes time? Did you know that? Growth takes time. I, I, I love this, and, and I, I try to be very careful when I talk about my family and church because I know that it affects them in different ways. But 
my oldest son is now bigger than I am. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but I've noticed that. Um, he's taller than I am. He's like, he's, he's huge. Um, and I love that for him. I love that for, for Ian. I, I, he always wanted to be tall and, and taller than his dad, and, and he is now, and he looks down on me. Uh, he can see all my gray hairs that Melissa sees when she cuts my hair, and, and, and he can see that, and I love that for him. But he didn't just get there. It's taken him 14 years to get there. Thankfully, for 12 of those, he was still shorter than me. You know? But now he's, he's surpassed that. So now he's got to have some, some new goals and some new things to look forward to. But growth takes time. Growth takes time. And in their story, it's the same thing for this tree. The, the, the man keeps going back, and he's waiting. He's got a hope for a future, but he knows that it's taking time. You see, when we're planted in a new relationship with Jesus Christ, it may take time for us to see some fruit in people's lives. Let me repeat that. When we are planted in a new relationship with Jesus Christ, we've never known him before, and now we've trusted him for our life, we've admitted our sins, and now the first moment we're starting to walk for him, it may take some time before the fruit is, is born that they are Christian. Christians, you should be saying amen to that, okay? Growth takes time. That means they may not walk like a Christian. Amen. Come on, I'm going to help you today, okay? It means they may not talk like a Christian. Amen. It may mean they don't act like a Christian. Why? Because it takes time. Growth takes time. Jesus says, when you're planted in me, you will bear fruit if you're following me. That's a whole process that takes place. He saves us in a moment, but in a process we live for him. It takes us some time to grow. It takes us a time to see new life. New life is a process. And sometimes when we're planted, we have expectations. We have new hope for the future. And we want to see growth, but sometimes when we plant, we get disappointed. So in the story, he talks about what's happening when we plant, but he also talks about what happens when we're disappointed. You see, verse 6 continues. It says, he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But here's the, the next part of that. He was always disappointed. He was always disappointed. See, this is a very strong statement. This is one of those words that you're never supposed to use. You're never supposed to use the word never and always. He uses it here. Always disappointed. Have you ever always been disappointed? If you're a Cubs fan, you were. Or, um, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, that, that was free. That was free. I'm a Royals fan, so I'm always disappointed as well. Uh, but that happens. We just are always disappointed. What, what's that feeling that comes when you're always disappointed? You begin to get down on yourself. You begin to get down on the situation. And I ask the question, do you just want to quit? Do you ever just feel like throwing in the towel of surrender? I'm done. Can't do it anymore. This just isn't what I expected. This is harder than I thought. I just can't get it. I'm done. I quit. I'm done. When I was growing up as, as a young boy, I wanted to play sports like my dad and, and be like him. But one of the things that, that my dad told me early, early on, he says, if we're going to pay money for you to do this sport and you're going to say you want to do this, you cannot quit what you start. 
you will finish what you start. And that was ingrained in me as a little boy. So when I would go to practice and I had to run sprints and basketball practice, I'm like, oh, this is hard. This hurts. This is not fun. Dad, can I just quit? Nope. You are not going to quit. Let me make it a little bit more real and more spiritual for us. I've had moments in my Christian walk where I'm like, this is hard. God, I don't, I don't even know sometimes. It would be so much easier just to live them for myself. I just want to quit. Why, did, why does this have to be so hard? Why do I have to read my Bible every day? Why do you want to talk to me every day? This is hard. But when God changes us and we begin to grow through that process, it changes our motivation. It changes our expectations. It changes how we feel. But there's times that we can't deny it. There's times, just like this man in the story, where we want to quit. This man in the story wanted to quit because he was always disappointed. And then I can imagine he asked that infamous question. Why? You ever ask the question, why, when you're disappointed? When life circumstances and situations just don't go the way you'd hoped they had gone, and you ask the question, why? <laughs> you see, in this story, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees again. I love this because I can relate to the Pharisees. Uh, I, I'm a church person. I know about traditions and rules and regulations. I was raised in legalism, and I know all that stuff. I get it. I can relate to the Pharisees. But Jesus addresses the Pharisees because the Pharisees did have a good trait about them, and this is it, okay? I, I want you to get this. The Pharisees are asking this question about suffering because the government, Pilate had just murdered people, and the Pharisees believed that we're not going to do anything by force. They had a belief that we're not going to take control by force. We're not going to use force in any way. They were a silent protest type of people. That's, that's, that's okay, and that's a good thing. They were asking Jesus, Jesus, we don't get this. This is wrongdoing, and we know that something needs to happen, but we don't know what to do, so we're asking you why. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I understand that you don't want to take by force and you don't want to do these things. And Jesus has, says to them, you know what? It's time for you to stop worrying about them and start worrying about you. You see, the Pharisees were so concerned about everybody else and were too busy pointing the finger at everybody else that they forgot about the fact that they weren't following him. They were disappointed in the world because they had expectations of the world. They had expectations for their government. And yet they're saying, Jesus, why is this happening? He says, if you act like them too, guess what? You'll perish too. If you start wondering so much about them that you lose sight of your own life, you will die too. Wow. <laughs> why, Jesus? No, it's not because those people were evil. No, it's not because that Jerusalem was evil. That's not why they're being punished. That's not why the tower fell on those 18. That's not why Pilate murdered those people. There's evil in the world, period. There's evil in the world, period. So then we ask the question, well, you know what? Why am I not seeing fruit in my own life as I walk for Christ? And if we're honest with ourselves and we've been, we've been walking with Jesus for some time, we begin to ask that question. Well, what kind of fruit am I bearing? 
What kind of fruit am, am I producing? Am I producing the fruit of the Spirit? Am I producing those types of things that look like Jesus? And we wonder sometimes, why am I not producing fruit? Why have I not progressed in the last little while in my walk with Him? Well, maybe it's because we're too busy pointing the finger and not looking in the mirror. And God look at us and, and, and says, you know, when you point a finger at somebody, you have three more pointing back at you. And saying, you know what, maybe the reason you're not bearing fruit in your own life is because there's something that's disconnecting you from me. And we need to get that right. We need to, we need to have an expectation that says, God, you're going to show me something, and I'm going to change. Because you're going to help me to change. You're going to transform my life. You're going to help me to see in the mirror what I need to quit doing. You're going to see that my disappointment in myself and my life is really because there's something that you're trying to show me. In fact, Jesus says, if you too don't turn, you will perish. The commentators that I was studying this week as I was preparing for this, that, that phrase, you too will perish, is not a future tense in the original language. It's a current present tense. In fact, He's saying, if you don't change, you are dying now. Have you heard the saying, if you're not living, you're dying? That's really what Jesus is saying here. We talk about as Christians, when somebody comes to an altar and they pray through and they, they, they get forgiveness of their sins and they trust Jesus with their life, we say to them something like this, eternal life starts right now. Did you know that the reverse of that is true? If you're not following Christ and you're not walking with him, eternal damnation is happening right now. You still have hope. You still have a chance. But we don't have hope. If you're not living, you're dying. Jesus says, if you don't turn from your ways, you When we commit ourselves to something for so long and we don't see results, we don't experience things with the expectations we'd hoped for, we begin to feel disappointed and we begin to ask the question, why? Another question that we sometimes will ask is, was this all just a waste of time and energy? The man begins to go through all three of these things in the story about his tree. He hasn't seen the fruit he expected. He's put a lot of time and energy and money He's hired a gardener <laughs> to help him. But he finally says in verse 7, cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Sometimes I wonder if we ever ask the question, is this all worth it? Is it worth it? We try and live for Christ the best way we know. We go to church every week. We go to Sunday school. We, we serve in a small group or we serve in, in a ministry. And we wonder, you know what, what am I really getting out of this? Is it really just a waste of time? We're not seeing any fruit. And then we look at this story, and I'm so thankful that Jesus has a way of turning it back to us. And I want us to see this last thing that Jesus talks about, the hope of the gardener. This is the good news, folks. Verse 8 says, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. <laughs> I believe as we look at this story a little closer, the gardener illustrates God. 
The gardener's God. The gardener's not ready to give up. The gardener's invested time. He's probably the gardener is the one that understands the process better than anybody else. And the gardener's the one who's willing to put in a little extra time. You see, the gardener knows that special attention is needed and is given. Pruning, watering, fertilizing, time. Those of you that plant and that you do it for a living, you know that it takes special attention to get the results that you want. God knows that in our life with Him, we have to give our relationship with Him special attention. We have to. We have to spend time letting God prune us. What does that mean? That means that these little dead spots in our life, He's got to cut off. That means these things that aren't quite Christ-like, he's going to take care of. He's going to point them out, and he's going to say, you know what? This is getting between you and me. Let's get rid of it. And how are we going to know that? Pastor, I don't know how he wants to get rid of him, what he wants to get rid of. How am I supposed to know that? Because you're going to spend time watering your life with him. You're going to spend time fertilizing your life with God. You're going to spend time with God. What does that mean? That means consistent attention. To the tree. You know, my, my brother Brady, he's he just moved into a new home in Oklahoma and they're they're getting their yard and their home all ready to go and, and he's he likes to work in the yard and he likes to make sure things look nice. And he told me this week, he said, BJ, I'm trying to plant grass in this dead spot in my lawn. And he goes, I don't have the time to put into it to get grass to grow. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, there's things you can buy that just kind of lay it out there, and you, and you just lay it out there, and you water it or let the rain take care of it, and it kind of does its own thing, and, and it's fine. He goes, but that doesn't really grow grass. You might grow a couple blades or here or there. Because, he goes, it needs consistent and constant watering and attention. He goes, I need to be out there watering that grass five times a day. I need to be out there putting fertilizer on it and making sure that everything's getting nutrients that it needs and it's growing down deep so that it can grow and show results. He goes, I don't have the time for that. I said, well, you can hire a gardener. I just read about one in the Bible. It's pretty good. But you see, God wants us to do the same thing with our life with him. Consistent, constant monitoring of our life with him. What does that mean, pastor? That means you've got to get in his word. How do I water my life? You've got to read his word. He'll tell you. Guess what else you got to do? You've got to talk to him. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to talk to God. He's God and I'm just me. Guess what? He wants to be your best friend. He wants to know your deepest, darkest. Guess what? He already knows it. But he wants you to talk to him about it. Consistent, constant monitoring. It takes time. Special attention. The gardener knew. The gardener was God, and he knew it took extra time. And finally, the gardener knew there's one more chance to be given. The story ends very abruptly. Verse 9, it says, if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Here's my interpretation of that. One more year. One more chance to prove it's worth it. Let's invest, let's spend the time, let's water, let's fertilize, let's be constantly aware of our situation and give it one more chance. 
One more opportunity. Aren't you glad that God is a God of second chances? God doesn't quit when he just doesn't see a fig showing up right away. He says, one more chance. One more opportunity. One more. The gardener has hope for the tree. The gardener has hope for the future. The gardener has expectations that can be lived out with just a little special attention. You saw me put this tree here this morning. I want to close with this illustration. This tree is a Thelander tree. And I sounded like I was proud of that, but... Um, um, <laughs> this tree was purchased about a year ago. And uh, those of you that are sitting way in the back, you can't really tell this probably very well, but there's half of this tree, this tree, this side and over is green. There's no, there's no dead leaves on it. it, it it's supposed to kind of droop a little bit, I, I'm told. But around Christmas time, this tree sits in the corner of our living room in our house. And uh, I uh, said around Christmas time, we, we called it our Charlie Brown tree, and we hung a little ornament on one of the leaves and had one ornament and lights that didn't work. It was our Charlie Brown tree. And uh, I said to my wife, I said, Alicia, can we just get rid of that tree? It's kind of useless. She said, no, I love that tree. How do you, okay. Um, she's like, this is exactly what she said. She said, can we just give it a little bit more time? I said, okay. I, I don't take care of the tree. I don't water it. I don't do give it what it needs. It's, she bought it. She takes care of it. So ev evidently she waters it some or puts it by the window so it gets some sunlight. I don't know what she does. But um, this tree is showing signs of death. And I mean, just dead leaves, and I'll put it in here so I don't have to clean up too much of a mess. But now we have little kids that crawl over to it and start pulling on it, and um, it, it just, it's a half-dead tree. And there's times when I sit there and I wonder, you know, is that my life? Where I'm ready to just give up. I'm ready to say, you know what, it's quitting time. But God looks at my life and he says, you know what, let's, uh, let's uh, just prune some things back a little bit. It may hurt. I know I'm not doing this right, so don't yell at me. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things that, that, that hurt that tree. Did you hear that tree cry? Um, pruning hurts. Yeah, it will. I'm, I'm trying to get that way, Bruce. Yeah, I know it. So, But God looks at our life and he says, you know what? you got some dead spots. we got to cut them off. And he, and he, says, he says to us, he, sa he says, you know, you got some things in your life that just aren't godly. They're not bearing fruit like Jesus. We need to, we need to get rid of them. Did you know that pruning hurts? It hurts when God cuts things off of our life. It hurts when we have to, to train a little bit more to be like Christ. It, it, it strains us. Pruning hurts. 
We can think of this as a church as well. Hang on with me, okay? We wonder why people leave our church sometimes. Good Christian people leave our church. Why are they leaving, Pastor? I don't know, but I believe that God prunes his church as well. I may not be the pastor for everybody. I get that. I may not be the leader that can help people grow in their walk. I get that. But God says, I'm still going to do something special with your church, with my bride. And sometimes I've got to prune in order to, for us to move forward. So he does it for us personally, but he does it for us corporately as well. Why are, sometimes we get so focused on, on the people that have left that we forget about the new people that are coming and the new life that's here and the new things that God, are, God is doing. And he wants to do the same thing in our life personally. Get rid of those things that are not godly so that I can give you new life, so that I can give you new fruit, so that you can look more like Jesus. Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If not, we might need to cut off some of this anger and some of this impatience and some of this rudeness. Because the question becomes, what fruit are you bearing right now? What fruit are you bearing in your life right now? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you looking like Jesus? So that when Jesus uses you out in the community and he takes you to places where people need him, they don't see you and your flaws and your weaknesses. They see Jesus shining through your life. Why? Because you're allowing him to spend a little bit more time with you, to be consistent and constant in the watering, the fertilizing, time spent with you. What fruit are you bearing in your life right now? And then the last question I want to ask you to think about today is this. What will your life look like one year from now? What will your life look like one year from now? You see, the Lenten journey is a journey of self-reflection. It's a journey to look at ourselves and say, God, you've brought me through so much. It's a time for us to mourn the losses. It's a time for us to confess the wrongdoings. But it's also a time for us to say, what do you want to do in me as we go forward? And I think it's important for us to realize that as we go through this journey together, that if we get to this point next year and we don't look different, we really need to look in the mirror. Amen? So let me share with you one last challenge and then we're going to pray together. In your bulletins, you've got a little card inserted in your card. You've got a little card that says, Easter with us. You've heard our, our schedule of events in, in four, four or five weeks now when we get to Easter. We're going to have Backyard Bible Club Saturday before Easter. It's a one-day event. It's an outreach event. Why is it an out? Why are we so focused on the outside, Pastor? It's Easter time. They should come to us. No, the Bible never says that. Go into all the world. We have, we have a footprint in our community now. And last year at Easter time, We as a church did not look different than a year before. That's hard for me. I told Pastor Greg this when we first got here. 
I said, what's Easter going to look like? What kind of uptick are we going to see? Easter's one of those Sundays that non-Christians say, I don't even need to be invited. I'm going to be in church on Easter and Christmas. It's one of those big days. We did not see an uptick in attendance from the year before. What did we look like? I said to Pastor Greg, I said, we got to do something different. we got to look different. In a year from now, we need to see something different. What are we doing that's different? It's not about singing the songs, folks. It's not about how we pray. It's not about the color on the carpet. It's not about where you sit. It's not about the location. It's not about any of that. It's about how many people are changing their eternal location. And if we're not affecting that on a year-to-year basis, we need to look in the mirror. So you have an opportunity. You have a card right there in front of you. I gave each person one card on purpose because I have plenty more to go around. Amen? I've asked you for two or three weeks now to be praying for somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that needs to know Jesus. I'm now giving you a tool that all you have to do is put it in their hands. You put it in their hands, it says Easter with us. Yeah, why don't you come with us to Easter? Well, what does that mean? That means I'm going to feed you a free breakfast at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock, that's early. Well, guess what? You go to work at 7.30 or 8. 9 o'clock, you get to sleep in. Come have free breakfast And then come Easter with us as we go to church. Just one time. Just come Easter with us. You can give that card. You can give an invite. You can show Jesus to somebody else. And if you didn't do that last year, here's an opportunity to say, you know what? I made one step closer. Guess what one step is? Victory. One step is victory. One step is a step further than we were last year. Amen? One more person is a victory for the kingdom. One more person can be a changed life that matters. One more person can change our destiny. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I appreciate your attentive spirits today. God is faithful. He wants to use his bride to reach the lost and dying world around us. Why do bad things happen? Why is there such evil in this place, in our country, in this world? Is it because we're bad? Well, it's because there's evil. But what are we doing about it? Are we allowing God to plant us in a relationship with him that needs time and energy so that we can grow and become all that he has for us? Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. Truth that is piercing, truth that is loving, truth that is comforting. Truth, God, that is true. God, I thank you for that today. I thank you, God, for the reminder that it takes time. 
It takes a process to walk with you. And I pray, God, that you would help each and every one of us to take a snapshot of our life right now. To take a snapshot on this day, on March 24th, 2019. This is where I am with the Lord right now. And God, I pray that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day that we continue to trust you and to walk with you. So that in March 24th, 2020, if you choose to tarry, God, we can look back at this last year and say, wow, my expectations were blown away because, God, you're in control. God, I pray that you be in control today of our lives. As individuals, I pray that you give us courage, Lord, to take this tool and use it as a corporate way to say, you know what? God is doing a new thing, and in fact, it's already begun, and we want you to be a part of it. Would you come Easter with us? God, it's for your glory and for your honor. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for every good thing you do, and just because of who you are. God, I pray that you would help us as we leave this place to walk with you step by step. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 630.